Hi, and welcome to another recording of the Encouraging Word podcast. My name is Stephen Young, and I'm with Paul McCarthy. I mean, Paul Bennett. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, we are happy to um, be bringing you another podcast on um, Adam Hamilton's book, The Incarnation. So we've been walking through this book. Um, this um, podcast is going to be on chapter three. Um, which is Emmanuel in the midst of the pandemic. So um, as we're still in the pandemic, so we might talk briefly about our experience during the, this pandemic. And um, But um, this has been a great chapter that's kind of speaks directly to the moment that we are in, a moment that's lasting much longer than anyone could have ever thought, but um, we're still in it. Before we get to that, though, we're going to do our fit segment. Um, something funny, interesting, or thought-provoking. So I guess you could say and thought-provoking. It can be all three of those together. I'm going to start off with Paul. What's your fit? Uh, my fit for today uh, is to, to briefly share that my family, for the first time ever, became dog owners uh, this oh, past wow. week. Um, really, it came down to these fit segments. I, every week we would sit <laughs> down and Stephen would have all these cool stories about yeah. his kids who are still young and cute and mine are getting <laughs> old and less cute. And I thought I need to up my game. So I, I said, honey, we need to get a dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. But my, uh, yeah, my kids and my wife, honestly, have been clamoring for a dog for years. And I've been the, the grumpy one that said that we, uh, we had too much going on already. Couldn't, couldn't. Uh, add any additional stress but so uh, essentially you were the Grinch and now your heart's grown three sizes larger is that three or four yeah, yeah three yeah, or four that's, that's great growing by the minutes that's Steve. great yes <laughs> yes God is good yeah um, so we have a, a dog rescue dog uh, came with the name Hermie and we kind of fell in love with the name Hermie um, it came with the name Hermie came with the name okay. Hermie yeah, some, somebody out there um, out of their intelligence decided that that was a good name hmm. for this dog and, and it's a uh, Shiba Inu mixed with something uh, they don't have a whole lot of information on the, the poor guy because um, came from a shelter in West Virginia and uh, we, we don't know anything about him prior to that uh, but we believe he's a Shiba, Shiba Inu and yellow a lab a Shiba Bibu she, she, <laughs> Shiba Inu repeat uh. after me Shiba <laughs> Shiba Jiro Bibu, <laughs> just just the one B, just the one B. So uh, Shiba Inus are are a Japanese uh, breed of dogs. Nice. And um, so yeah, we're having a lot of fun with it. And I, there's so much more I could share uh, from just a, a week of experiencing life with a dog. But uh, I'll save those for future future uh, fit segments. But yeah. uh, he's he's settling in. He's he's um, a pretty shy, maybe. Maybe even more than shy, maybe terrified. I, we don't know his background, what he's been through, uh, but he's starting mm. to warm up to the family, and, and we're having having fun so far. That's good. That's good. Really good to hear. Yeah. And uh, your daughter, um, when she came to youth and crossroads, um, she kept complaining about how hard it was to be a dog mom. So <laughs> she's like, "Being a dog mom is so hard." And yeah, she, she kept yeah. repeating that all day. She's really so. dragging. She's uh, yeah. <laughs> she's got a lot on her plate now. It's really, really horrendous. Right. Uh, the life right. she lives. Yeah. Poor, poor girl. Right. Um. All right. My fit segment is, um. Actually, it's going to be sports related. Is that, um, that I've been 
I can't say watching. I've been following the Cavs a lot. Um, they around the country. Yeah, yeah I wish <laughs> I could go to Cavs game. <laughs> You're the guy well, standing I, outside their right. hotel rooms. <laughs> hey, it's me right. again. Then I would be abandoning my family to watch the Cavs. They're not that great, no. but um, yeah, this is, they've been a lot of fun to watch. Um, ever, especially since LeBron has left. Now, <laughs> how long has it been? Three years. I think maybe? even more than yeah, four, four or more, something four like five. that. So. Now they're actually doing really, really well, starting to hit that national spotlight again. They've got some good players, some fun-to-watch players. Um, they're lighting up the highlight reels. They're um, looking like a playoff, legitimate playoff team right in the middle of their conference. And it's just been a lot of fun to watch. Just, yeah, Paul and I actually talk Cavs almost every time before we record. So uh, we kind of dabbled in. Maybe we should do a sports podcast. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. It might it may have to be just a Cavs podcast because – We don't know much. Right. <laughs> yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't know much. Or the sports I follow, he doesn't follow. Or I don't follow his sports. I think you're like synchronized swimming, right? Is that your yeah. favorite? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's my wife is a right. former synchronized there swimmer. You go. So I am right. the, one of the biggest fans yeah. of synchronized swimming <laughs> right. there could possibly be. Yeah. I heard you practice in your tub, you know, so that's very uh, yeah. cool. Yeah, it's yeah. painful at times because <laughs> <laughs> talk to uh, talk to the church about getting me a bigger tub. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's my uh, fit. So yeah, Who's your uh, favorite player on the Cavs? Uh, it has to be the – so they drafted Evan Mobley, who's he's been really good. So he's probably my favorite, but I'm really – like an Allen and Garland and Arcora, I'm really all of them have really unique. That's maybe another reason why I like them because their personalities are all so a little different, and but they're all really fun. And I love Allen's afro. Maybe I should grow one. Maybe, like maybe. Yeah, we're better start band. now. He's he's got a head start. <laughs> right. Uh, quite a bit of right. One. Some of our listeners may not know. I actually had dreadlocks once before, so I did have a big fro. When you took Before. the locks out, you were yeah. I yeah. mean, it was it was huge. So like uh, Jared Allen caliber. I mean, a little smaller than that, okay. but I mean, it was I guess a little legitimate. So <laughs> you guess? Yeah. Uh, I think we need to put that to the test. I don't know. <laughs> maybe yeah. Maybe this over uh, Christmas break, I'll grow it out. So sounds good. So everyone on the podcast can see it. Right, right. right. As soon as we decide <laughs> to, to go video, <laughs> which is probably never gonna happen. Right. Yeah. Nonetheless. All right. Well, uh, good good stuff. Um, we're trying to make sure everything somehow fits in the funny, interesting, thought-provoking categories. And yep. I don't know if we always succeed, but uh, just sharing kind of what's on our mind and going on in our lives so we maintain that personal connection. And we'd love to hear more about uh, you all. And, and any feedback on our fit segments is always welcome in the comment section and our, our uh, podcast. So uh, thanks for joining us as we venture into Chapter 3 here. If you have the book in front of you, uh, chapter 3 begins on page 85, uh, but Stephen and I, what we've been doing, instead of trying to offer some sort of comprehensive uh, summary of these chapters, because there's, there's so much content, and, and uh, Adam Hamilton does such a good job of weaving it all together, but it, it's not really conducive to a, a uh, podcast uh, summary, so we've been just picking uh, chunks, uh, little quotes here and there to, to discuss, and toss around and kind of help us get in the Christmas spirit, but also dig deeper and, and glean some uh, more um, more knowledge and understanding perspective about how the incarnation 
uh, changed the world and changes our lives as, as individuals, as a church each and every day. So the first uh, quote that we're going to turn to, uh, as a reminder, this chapter was about uh, Emmanuel in the midst of a, a pandemic. So uh, at the beginning of the chapter, uh, Hamilton does spend some time talking about the pandemic. And it's interesting, his first um, you know, book, I guess, that I've read where somebody references the pandemic in the midst of it. It's a book that's already been published. So tells you how long the pandemic has been with us and he's writing kind of early on and, and speculating in this chapter about how uh, the pandemic is going to continue and, and uh, the lives it, it might impact and uh, so just kind of I don't know almost eerie or, or awkward to be reading that uh, knowing that we're living it continue to be living it here at the end of 2021 but uh, this first quote is on page 90 Uh, first paragraph, full paragraph here, he says, I do not believe that God sent the coronavirus, but I do believe he is with us in the midst of this pandemic, doing what God always does, comforting, leading, consoling, and wringing good from the adversity and the pain. So, uh, you know, it really is a, uh, when we break down the word Emmanuel um, and, and apply that here, it's what we're saying even through the title of this chapter, God with us in the midst of a pandemic. And, and Hamilton wrestles for a bit in this chapter with um, whether you know people truly believe that God sends uh, calamity, God sends essentially suffering and hardship upon us, whether God allows it or whether God is just present within it. And this is a, maybe a good topic, Stephen, for a, um, a you know, full you know, podcast series at some point because right. it's something we all wrestle with. But uh, where is God in the midst of pain? Um, does he in, in any way, shape, or form play an active role in, in causing or creating it? Um, my, my take has always been that I, I, you know, I feel like there is evidence, and, and I don't want to um, uh, evade you know, reality, try to evade reality. I think God does allow. Uh, we have to at some point acknowledge God does allow because uh, he has the power to, to prevent and, and uh, curtail our pain or, or weave us around it, um, whatever the case might be. God does, at the very least, allow us to go through stuff. Um, but I think there's a very real purpose for that. And uh, Hamilton points out, you know, in the midst of pandemic, God is, is present in it. So God is Emmanuel, our Emmanuel in uh, the coronavirus. And what's he doing? He's comforting, he's leading, he's consoling, he's wringing good from the adversity and the pain. Um, so, I don't know, uh, Stephen and I checked in pretty early on in our, our coronavirus experiences. Maybe I've touched on it here and there throughout, but... Uh, I've seen, you know, God at work in this in this pandemic in so many different ways, uh, personally and, and through this church family, and just uh, hearing stories from some people around the world that that I don't know personally, uh, and and I think God is is at his best, honestly, or or his his gifts and his beauty and his love are highlighted more so in the midst of the darkness. So I think absolutely. Uh, if we understand good uh, to be our ability to, to see and, and perceive and, and accept and embrace uh, God's greatest qualities uh, and, and be in relationship, healthy relationship with him, then I do think those, those, if those things are good, then they, they do come out of times of suffering and certainly in, in a number of different ways that's been the case during the, the pandemic. Stephen, any uh, anything during your, your experience of the pandemic you can point to that's you would say is you've seen something good come from it? Yeah, I think um, um, 
yeah, so a little bit of an update for me, um, for me and my family. I guess some of the listeners probably already know, but my family came down with uh, coronavirus, everyone but me. Um, and just like Paul's family came down with it, what, a year ago, I believe. Yeah. Um, so it's it's struck super close to home, and I family members have gotten it. Um, brother-in-law has gotten it, sister-in-law. Um, actually, my parents have gotten it. My sister's gotten it. Um, so, yeah, it's it's through it all. I mean, you, um, it is true that you do see some ringing of good from adversity and pain um, through this pandemic. But I always try to, I also want to try the best to acknowledge um, that um, this has been a really difficult time, not just for people who've gotten the coronavirus, but also for like I still hear stories of medical staff and hospitals are stressed out, stretched thin, and, and, and are really experiencing a very, very difficult time um, that we don't necessarily hear about day to day. And this pandemic is still going on. And we also have to look at look globally as well that um, there are countries that don't have the resources that we have here in America um, that are still really struggling with the pandemic and will for a, for a long time, probably even longer than we will here. Um, but that's also a reason why, um, as as a world, um, we struggle with this together because we think of the new variants that are coming up across the world end up in America. So it's important that we all get vaccinated and we all fight the virus together as a global family, in a sense. And maybe this is, for my lifetime, it's the first time I've ever seen, like, this huge global effort to unite it at unite as best that we can be as human beings at at one goal is fighting the coronavirus so mm-hmm. um that's been interesting but i guess hamilton says um he says later on the quote he says there is tragedy and death but there's also life hope goodness and love so you see all those things um within um this pandemic and um like i said you don't want to erase the pain um but as well um you don't want to overlook the good things that, that have happened. So, yeah, I think Alan Hamilton does a really good job with in this paragraph of balancing the two views. Hmm. Um, the next quote that I have is on actually just page 91. Um, uh, it says, Over 100 times in Scripture, God, an angel, a prophet, the psalmist, or Jesus himself said to someone, Don't be afraid. Why not fear? Um don't be afraid. Why not fear? Constantly the answer was because God is with us. This response is at the heart of the Christmas story. It is the essence of the incarnation. The God who has always been with his people came to us in the flesh in Jesus. Um, I like this quote because it's it's true, right? It's so many places in scripture it says, do not be afraid. Um, this is all throughout scripture, Old and New Testament. You have God saying this to Moses and David and Abraham and I mean all the major figure characters in Scripture. God is saying this and in one way or another, do not be afraid, um, because because f- fear um, is a sign of a lack of trust um, in something or someone. So to fear um, is to say I I don't trust the Lord. It's it's a it's a, it's a thing of faith, honestly. Um, and God is essentially saying, have faith in me, have faith, do not be afraid, trust me. Um, 
And this is war that happens throughout. Jesus says it to his disciples as well. And um, you just see this constantly God trying to reassure his people that he is with them. And that's in, you know, that's that's the journey that we as Christians take is this walk by faith. Um, it's not a blind faith, meaning that we don't um, we don't have faith in God without evidence. There is evidence of God being faithful through suffering. So it's not a blind faith. It's a faith that. Um, has good evidence and we trust that God is going to be with us in the future that we that we know God's been faithful in the past and we trust that he'll be faithful in the present and into the future Um, so we don't we do not need to be afraid uh, of the things that we will face in this life and um, and that's kind of when Paul talked about earlier about God and and suffering and pain which will there's another quote that I have that will speak I'll speak a little bit more on that but um, through that pain, we learn to trust, which is just a hard thing. Like we don't, nobody wants the pain. No one wants the suffering, but it is through the suffering and the pain that we probably grow the most, you know, and not just, that's just truth and uh, truth. Um, something that's true about life, right? So if you're, even if you're a student, like you probably learn best when you're under the crunch of, um, the test, um, the studying, the the hard times that that's that's where you you really refine your skills. I mean, this this is a truth that happens throughout life. Um, it's through the pain and the struggle that we grow the most. Because a lot of times in the good times, we we don't we don't have that challenge, we don't have that inspiration, we don't have the outlook or the perspective that pain brings about. So, um, but yeah, it's a good quote of of God reassuring His people, and then also God trying to speak to us to say hey don't be afraid have faith and trust in me yeah i've encountered this this uh, concept of you know god's appearances before humanity uh various different forms and times and how it almost always seems to be accompanied by a reminder to not be afraid um you know an angel appears and poof don't be afraid poof don't be afraid god appears and you know in a burning bush or whatever the case Yeah, poof, don't be afraid. So, you know, uh, this got me thinking maybe a little bit more deeply on that and wondering why, you know, what are the reasons why God would be telling somebody not to be afraid? One is, well, because all of a sudden God is in one way, shape, or form appearing before you. And so all of us, I think, naturally are going to be terrified when we come face to face with the divine, um, no matter what that looks like. So I, I think that's part of it. But you know, secondly, when you start looking across the, the gamut of all the different reasons that God appears to somebody and the messages that he brings to them, uh, th- there may be some, some good content or some, some positive messages or, or promises that God offers, but there's always something that's, that's challenging or something difficult that he's bringing to that individual too. Um, it's never, you know, God doesn't play publisher's clearinghouse. He just shows up at your door and says, <laughs> oh, surprise, you won $100 million. And, you know, and no no expense, no, you know, no skin off your back. No, God comes and he brings promises. He's, he's got good stuff for us, but he also asks things of us too. Like even Abraham, uh, when God is establishing 
Abraham is the patriarch of his people. He takes them out, shows them all the stars in the sky, says your your descendants are going to number like these stars. Uh, but, you know, here's the deal. This is what you got to do to accomplish that, to get there. You know, you got to follow me. You got to relocate to this area. You got to be faithful. You got to trust me. Um, when things aren't going well, when your, your wife turns up uh, not to be able to have children and, and things don't seem to be going the way I promised, you got to hang tight with me. You even got to sacrifice your son at one point along the way. So, all these promises to Abraham, good things. But there's so much to be afraid of for Abraham along the way. So what does that say about God and God and, and his relationship with us? I think it says that God is not just invested in um, relationship with us to make our lives easier or more convenient um, or to, to help uh, ease our pain or uh, inconveniences or troubles, whatever they might be. God is invested in relationship with us because He's, he's got a, a long-term plan for growing us and strengthening us and making us um, more mature in our faith and, uh, and bringing out of us a more meaningful relationship uh, with him. And, and so he's, he's going to promise things. He's going to uh, tell us good things and have great news, but there's always going to be a challenge. Like Mary, when the angel appears, she finds out, wow, I get to be the mother of, of the Messiah. And at the same time, Wow, you know, I, I got to be the mother of the Messiah. This is going to be tough. So it's, you know, God is, has that sort of investment in us that we need to be afraid. We should be afraid because it's a big deal. It's something we need to take very seriously. But it's because God isn't just about, you know, uh, patting us on the back and, and trying to take away our troubles or hand us gifts left and right. He's about growing us and, and nurturing us uh, into to better uh, people better followers of him. Uh, so I think this this quote really brings that out and shows us that some of God's greatest gifts aren't removing our pain. It's it's giving us opportunities for growth and, and a greater experience of life and uh, faith. And I think that's um, you know reading between the lines is kind of what I pull out of this this concept uh, of uh, not not fearing or God telling us not to fear every time we encounter him. Um, it's pretty powerful. I'll jump us over to page 98 real quick. Just take a, a quick dive into uh, this page and this concept of um, reference to the prophet Isaiah here in the middle of the page. I'll, I'll jump in. Uh, Hamilton's talking about a passage from Isaiah in which uh, Emmanuel is promised. He talks about uh, the word Emmanuel and kind of the, the historical context of how uh, Isaiah was talking about Emmanuel um, back in Isaiah chapter 7, and then how we are to read that, uh, or how uh, basically Joseph and Mary and their contemporaries were to understand it, how we are to uh, read it today. So there's three different points in history, you know, the time of Isaiah, the time of Jesus, and our time today. Um, and that's kind of the foundation and the context of this quote is uh, discussing that notion um, and he says, much of what Isaiah prophesied was, as we've seen above, addressing the specific circumstances of the prophet's day or the near future. It foretold how God was about to work at that time. Um, the book was written. But every generation of Jews that followed Isaiah's time looked at his words in light of their own time and heard in them a picture of how God might work in their time as well. 
Early Christians also read Isaiah this way, uh, typologically, seeing in Isaiah's words a type or pattern that was being repeated in their own time, or for Christians, how God had worked in and through the life of Jesus. So uh, this is essentially an aside, but I thought it was worth um, diving into quickly, this, this notion, almost confirmation, that the Bible is intended to be read um, in so many different ways and has so many different layers of meaning when we recognize that there was purpose and, and intentionality for the original audience, uh, there was purpose and intentionality for people of Jesus' time who were referring back to the Old Testament scriptures. There were pur- purpose and intentionality for the people of the, the early church who were looking back on the New Testament scriptures when they were developing. And even another layer for us today as we look back on the historical context and the, what these passages meant to the original audience, maybe in Old Testament times or New Testament times, but also trusting that God has a unique message within them that's intended just for us uh, today and can apply to our circumstances. So uh, just a kind of a blanket concept about um, reading Scripture in general, that it's okay and it's actually fabulous that that we look at it uh, and try and understand it in the the context of the original audience, um, even those maybe who came after it later on in Scripture and, and in today's context, in our own personal lives, in our families, in our church. Um, and, and God intended, truly intended for all of that to take place and in his genius and his wisdom wove uh, content within the word that could benefit um, us in each stage of history and each context all at once uh, in such a beautiful way. So I just thought that was worth a few minutes to point out. Um, and then I'll read um, the last quote I think that we both have here on, on page 102. Um it says he came he became human in Jesus he experienced what we experience as humans in Jesus God experienced temptation love hunger joy fear friendship grief doubt rejection a sense of abandonment by God and death he wept he bled he suffered he died this is something profoundly moving about God actually knowing what we are experiencing as humans um, this is a very very powerful um, statement and a, and a powerful truth about God. Um, I would say this is a truth about God that stands out above all other religions. Um, as a matter of fact, it's one of the primary things that makes Christianity um, so unique is that God um, came as Christ, Jesus Christ, who's fully God, fully man. Um, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, who's fully God, experienced all the things that we experience on this life. Um, including suffering. So when it comes to the question of suffering, um, we can't say one thing that we can't say, or two things that we can't say. One, we can't say that God hasn't suffered because he has. Um, We see on the cross that Christ suffered in in a way that no one else has ever and ever will suffer. Um, Christ suffered um, painfully, physically, um, but he also experienced a spiritual pain that is insurmountable. I mean, you just you can't imagine the, the spiritual pain he faced. And, and when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, it's just the tip of the iceberg of the spiritual agony that he was experiencing, the separation of the Father dying on the cross for our sins. That's His suffering is, is, is beyond what anyone else could ever suffer. 
Um, so we can't say that God doesn't know suffering, and we can't say that God um, doesn't love us through the suffering. Um, so, or we can't say that God doesn't care. So we can't say God doesn't care about our suffering because He obviously does. He He came and suffered. So we we can't say in the midst of our suffering, well, God doesn't care about me. That's not true. Um, he's proved that it's not true um, through his death and resurrection um, and his sending of the Holy Spirit to be with us through our suffering. So we can't say that God doesn't care, and we can't say that God hasn't experienced suffering. Um, but going along with what Paul had said earlier, God does allow suffering um, within his divine plan and perspective that we don't see, that we that there are things that only God knows, and there are things that God will, will only know. And And part of what it means to be follower of Christ is trusting God and trusting the plan of God um, when he says do not be afraid right sometimes sometimes the future of our lives we're afraid of what the future may hold because we just don't know um, but we do know that we have a God that is is uh, loving who's faithful who's truthful who's just right we have all these things about God that are true even in the midst of our uncertainties and anxieties um, and that's great comfort, and that's a comfort, I would, and again, I would argue, it's a great comfort that many people in the world don't have. Um, there is no other religion where a God had suffered on behalf of the people. Um, there is no religion where God offers us salvation. Every other religion in the world, salvation is earned. Um, it's, it's earned through a life of obedience, where the Christian faith Obedience happens because of the love first shown us in God. We obey because God loved us and gave himself for us. And it's only the right thing to do is to obey a loving God who showed his love to us first. Um, that's unlike any other religion or practice or belief or whatever you may find. Um, and this is very unique to have uh, a God who suffered alongside us, who can completely relate to us when we come to him in prayer and cry out to him um, throughout throughout our lives. So, yeah, great quote. Yeah, what could be more valuable for us as humans trying to follow God and and be in a relationship with with God of, of love um, than to be able to observe and, and interact with a, a a God in human flesh, right? you know, an expression of God in human flesh that shows us that that God both experienced humanness, human emotions and feelings and and um, was able to experience what it's like to love as a, a human and the struggle with uh, love and, and um, the joy of love and, and all of these different dynamics. And that's what we get in Jesus. And I think Hamilton even pointed out uh, in one way, shape, or form here that, you know, a lot of people tend to think of Jesus as, as human, almost like he, he just transformed himself physically into a, a human shell. He just squeezed his, his God characteristics into a human shell and, and that's partially true but it doesn't tell the whole story god didn't just take on the form of a human he became fully human and so all these things that stephen was describing these, these struggles he, he dealt with the, the feelings that he felt are 100 percent authentic um, so jesus didn't just look like the us he, he was like us in, in every way imaginable and uh, so he can relate. He, he felt fear before he went to the cross. He, he felt anger uh, at different times. Uh, many times throughout his ministry, he was face-to-face um, -face with temptation in, in the wilderness. He felt grief and uh, agony of, of so many different sorts. And so I think we, 
we get the gift of seeing Jesus truly as, as fully human and knowing that he can relate. God can now relate to everything uh, that we experience on a day-to-day basis. But we also get the beauty of seeing our humanness in action, uh, living out God's cause, as Jesus showed us that there is some, some beautiful things about being human and allowing our emotions and our uh, just our very human experiences to impact and, and um, inform us as we go about serving God. Uh, I thought, I, I don't know if this is valid or not, but I, I, my thoughts went to, as they so often do, this is my, my nerd side coming out, uh, went to Star Trek. Steve is a big oh, Star boy. Trek fan, right? No, nope. Yeah? Star Wars. Star Trek? Huh? Nope. Nope. Sorry. S- Star Wars is keep, they, I mean, they keep going on. Star Trek is kind of dead in the water a little yeah, bit because they know when to stop <laughs> but they are still <laughs> putting stuff out true. there but but uh it's the old stuff that really is is valuable anyhow i, I started thinking about spock you know oh spock is vulcan he's well he's he's half human and he's half vulcan but maybe <laughs> unlike jesus he's not a hundred percent human and a hundred percent vulcan he's he's half vulcan he's half human so there's this you know, in Spock's character in Star Trek, there's always this tension that he's unable to um, maybe feel or express human emotion, although it seems like you, you, you witness him at times struggling with it. Like he, he kind of feels something, but he doesn't. Um, he wants to express something, but he's not sure how. You know, so I, I feel like Jesus comes in and he shows us, as, as Star Trek kind of alludes to in, in the original series in, in many different ways, the value of human emotion that it can be a beautiful thing and, and a necessary thing and it's so integral to our relationships of, of love um, that we can feel and experience what it means to be truly human so i think the incarnation paints this beautiful picture of, of who god is and, and how much he understands us and uh just as a, another quick uh, adding one more layer to that before we wrap up um today i want to jump quickly over to page 107 and um, capture this this other side uh, of that notion. So we, you know, God becomes human uh, through the incarnation. He becomes Emmanuel, God with us, um, and, and we get to see the almost not really the vulnerable side of God, but the, the human, the the uh, emotional, the, the the flesh, the dealing with pain and, and suffering and temptation, all of these things. God becomes very personal, uh, very intimate. And uh, I think it's important that we see that God is that. God desires to be that for us. But we also don't lose sight of the fact that God is still sovereign. God is still all-powerful. God is still the creator of the universe. And Hamilton references this, uh, this story on, on page 107, this time when Moses once went to God and said, Show me your glory. This, uh, Moses was just enamored by God and and wanted to experience in that moment God's power, I think, is a a piece of affirmation for him uh, that God was truly able and and was willing to to work on Moses' behalf. So Moses goes to God and says, show me your glory. And God replies, in essence, Hamilton says, you could not survive the experience. So, um, you know, at the same time as, as Jesus is an infant, um, drooling and and you know uh, probably blowing out his diaper and it's and kind of a lot like Baby Yoda, lot like, like Star <laughs> Wars Baby here. Yoda. Yes, you can't help yourself. You got to somehow counteract <laughs> my Star Trek <laughs> reference. 
I haven't seen Baby Yoda except in the stores. <laughs> except, the stores. except in the stores. But maybe like Baby Yoda, if that <laughs> makes you feel better. But, but Jesus, so utterly human, right? When he comes to earth, and that's almost God's emphasis. He wants us to see God as this this just uh, totally vulnerable, uh, emotional, and um, just uh, this being that can relate to us wholeheartedly. You know, has the same struggles, same experiences. Uh, very, very much down to earth, Jesus, right? And but at the same time, uh, Jesus and Moses, as Moses experience, experiences here, is still God. He's still the creator of the universe. He's still someone such that if we were to ask to truly see His glory, that He was hiding, uh, you know, in, in that um, in that baby shell when He first came to Earth, that we would truly see His His glory. It would be more than we could take in. It would it would be dangerous for us to encounter it. Um, and this is this is what Moses is reminded of in this passage. So this was wrapped up in in the incarnation is that God is both. God is all powerful. God is is uh, the the master of the universe. God is all these things, but He's also Jesus in a, a baby in a frail human shell, drooling like Baby Yoda, and <laughs> uh, you know meeting us face to face. And I, I always go to um, Job when I want reminded of of God's glory. Uh, and the conversation God had with Job when Job was going through all that stuff legitimately was um, struggling and, and needing a reminder from God that, that God was still in control. And God says things to him like this is Job 38. He says, uh, you know, Job, uh, by the way, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Uh, tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely, you know, who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid the earth's cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Um, so, you know, Job's reminder, by the way, uh, God is, is still all-powerful. He's fully in control. He is greater, more glorious than we could ever imagine. Uh, but he's also an infant in an animal trough. You know, so this is our God, and uh, this is what Christmas is all about, is getting to see the, the, the full picture, the full scope of God's uh, power and his might and his uh, humanness and his love and his humility, and I think it's absolutely beautiful. So uh, that's that's a wrap, I think, for me. Um, any comments for the good of the whole? Uh, I don't think so. I think you wrapped it up. Pretty Catch well, a new though. Star Wars movie in um, theaters this Christmas. <laughs> is there something coming out? No, there's well on uh, Disney Plus little shows here and there, but okay. no, no big movies. So they finally gave up. Yeah, I don't, don't think so. so. They can't come up with anything it's new. A cash cow. They get a lot of money. From they, it, they do. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, friends. We'll be back with one more uh, episode to take us through the last chapter of Hamilton's book, um, just before Christmas. And uh, then we'll catch you on the other side. But uh, as a reminder, we're, we're uh, worshiping every Sunday, but Christmas Eve in particular, we'd love to see you at our services here at the church, 3, 5, 8, and 11. Hop on the website if you want to know more about uh, the specifics of each service. We'd love to, to uh, get to worship with you side by side on Christmas Eve. Take care, all.